Hello, everyone. You are listening to an encore presentation of the Word in the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. We will be back live with a brand new episode next week. And until then, keep us in your prayers. Coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought. It's the Word on the Hill. And it's coming from you in the form of a telegraph. Was that what I sounded like? Yeah, yeah. Stop. Stop. Dude, so this is what I was trying to do. I wasn't telling you to stop. Sorry. Oh, you were telling You were saying stop. Coming to you from the Word on the Hill. Stop. I'm Scott Powell. Stop. And I am Peter Musset. Stop. That's all you said. <laughs> Wait, did you say you're Scott Powell? Yeah, I did. You're and, not Scott Powell. And I said that I'm Peter Musset. Scott. I wish I was Scott Powell. I wish I was Scott Powell. Dude, so what I was trying to do is I, fe- I was thinking about the technology of the iPhone the other day. Okay. And you know how you can set custom um, vibrations on it? No, I did not know that. Yeah, you can set custom vibrations. Speaking of which, I have a technical question about this one. We're done. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're done. Um, and uh, and so I thought to myself, dude, this is a perfect opportunity to utilize Morse code <laughs> in custom vibrations in your pocket because I never turn the ringer on, but I always have the have the thing. And so if I can if I could learn just letters, I could get the initials of people. So I could be. Do you like, think your thigh could learn Morse code? I you know I tried I tried it for a little while and then it confused the heck out of me and I'd be like why is my phone ringing you figured out how to do it oh yeah yeah I I just went to Wikipedia and and found a a list of letters and then I tried it with Kevin Augustine Father Kevin because he um wait how do you set it though what yeah is there a Morse code setting on the iPhone no you just oh you have the iPhone five that no no you can do it iPhone four iPhone (laughs) three you just like tap literally on the screen and then it'll it'll set a little pattern. Really? Yeah. So I was thinking about coming out with an app, or anybody out there can use this idea. Come out with an app that gives us Morris code letters for that vibration. So just tag into that API. And then teach your thighs how to read it. I know. Do you ever get the phantom ring? No. Where, where you think your phone's reading and it's not even in your oh, pocket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we are going to no, be we're going to be so messed up in about 10 years. We're going to be like, yeah, I lo- love my phone until I have like a, a cancer brick in my head. Yeah, we're going to be messed up pretty bad <laughs> yeah we're fine now it's sure good now though it's sure good except for the, fan- the phantom ring the phantom ring i um yeah never mind i was, probably... I was gonna tell you who i butt dialed recently but oh i won't dude i got some good shout outs this week i had to oh, tell you dude. i don't have any oh so man this is great or do i um I do. okay I hold on know. let me look at my text messages on your iphone <laughs> yeah on my iphone people said uh, i've these ones come. These ones come close to the bone from from my friends. Okay, close to on. the bone. Oh, is that a thing? yeah, yeah. Because it's like my people. Oh yeah, you're. Yeah. You got your people. Let's see. M U. Okay, here we go. Um. Oh, okay. So check this out. Um. Uh. There is a priest who was like hanging out, and uh, my brother and Adrian were somewhere, and um. He asked my my sister in law Adrian. She said he, he said he said hey are you uh, Adrian Musset? And she was like yeah. And and then Neil came over and he's he's like are you Neil Musset? And he was like yeah. And your brother's Peter Musset. And he's like yeah. And he's like man I've been listening to Lanky guys. So th- that's Father Baker. Nice. And he is Go in, Father Baker. He is in Hamburg. Oh Hamburg. In Hamburg in Germany. No in in Buffalo. <laughs> 
<laughs> Hamburg, New York, which there is this basilica of this man who's going to be declared a saint, Father Nelson Baker. I've never heard of him. So he's Father Baker at Father Baker's. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, isn't that awesome? Yes, that's awesome. And uh, dude, I will tell you what. If you want a, a great European cathedral basilica, I always do. You got to go to Hamburg, and so I get New that's York. New York. That is, so Father Baker, totally love that you're listening to us, man. I'm Thanks glad that we're, we're we're a part of that, and you got a man to follow after. Wow, and it made it all the way up to New York, dude. It's everywhere. I guess it's already in New York with your brother. We are everywhere. We are surrounding you. Well, I have a shout out to Mary Hart. Well, no, it, well, uh, partially a shout out to Mary Hartman. Who's been a faithful listener for a number of years? Sent us an awesome CD a oh, while ago. Oh yes, absolutely. Which we didn't give her a shout out for when it came, but it's an awesome CD and we love it. Um, we also want to give a shout out to her son Milo and the group from the University of Washington Newman Center who are going to do the Camino in September, which is awesome. Buen Camino, Buen Camino. You know, I have a. I uh, actually am starting a company if my bishop will allow me to produce. Uh, Camino maps. Oh, that's right. Because I have this uh, single map that is like way super cool. So, Mary, I would love to hook up your son with one. Um, I don't know what route he's walking. This one, the map I have is specifically for the French route. So, he won't know until you send him the map. Yeah, and I also have a friend, um, uh, Lisa Goodhue, who's walking on the Camino. I wonder if they're walking together. Is she with the group from the University of Washington Newman Center? I can't remember which group she's with. Mm. Dude, that's because I'm uh, my my brain is fuzzy except for about scripture. I want to know if it's the University of Washington in St. Louis, or the University of Washington in Seattle. I we'll don't never know, know, man. Well, maybe we'll find out. Mary, which one? Tell us. Oh. All right. Okay, we got a few readings today, dude. We got some readings, so we're starting in the book of Ecclesiastes. Dude, I have, I have to say, this book is so vain, I can't handle it. Uh, okay, so we start there, and then we go to the psalm. Psalm 90, and we're all over the board in Psalm 90. Dude, yeah, we, we're just going to tell you the, the, the basic number, because yeah. if you if we told you all the verses, too much. I don't know why they do that, man. They Your freak me explode. out. I, I think that that's weird. And then we have, um, we're having another um, a, a, a colossianoscopy. Colossianoscopy. <laughs> as, as usual in in chapter d- three chapter three and then we're going to luke chapter 12 luke 12 pray <laughs> for us dude so, i i love that what do you love that pray for us thing <laughs> we used to do it to people on our floor in college who lived on our dorm floor it was really weird i'd be like Scott. peter mosset of boulder Pray, pray for us, Scotty P. Pray, pray for us, Except Father Baker. Pray for us. Oh. Let's saddle up, man. Okay, saddle up. So Ecclesiastes, the first reading. The first, whoa, what do you got? You, got, you <laughs> had that look on your face. Yeah, dude. I have to say that um, I'm surprised they let this be scripture. What? Okay, I want to talk about it. I got lots to talk about. Okay, here. okay, that's, that hit me with Because this it, man. changes everything. If you don't understand what's going on in Ecclesiastes, I don't think you're going to fully grasp why these readings are so significant. So, well, this guy says he's a king. Yes, I mean, but he's a preacher king. Do you know who the who the the most common tradition says that uh, Koheleth is? Isn't it? They say it's Saul. The no, mean, not Saul. Um, Simon. No. Simeon. No. Jesus. No. 
Uh, Frank. <laughs> it's Fra- yes, it's Jesus. Frank no. Oz. It's Frank Oz. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Uh, no, it's Solomon. It's supposedly Solomon. I was trying to get there, but I, I couldn't. I knew I couldn't you were. That's why I kept pushing it. Yeah, it's in your face. So the tradition suggests, actually, oh, no. Dude, I think Solomon, dude, I have to tell you, this dude sounds like me on a really bad day. Well, it's interesting you said that. So here's the thing okay. with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is, so it is, if you actually read Ecclesiastes, which most people don't, they just know that one song. Do everything, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> there is a the season, season. Dun, dun. Dude, I'm going to do a punk rock version. To everything, dun. Burn, burn, burn. That's hardcore. Yeah. So, okay, here's the, here's the thing. We have this mindset that if it's in the Bible, it's got to be good. If it's in the Bible, it's got to be right, right? If it's, in, if it's in the Bible, it's good and holy and pure and everything else, right? But what we don't realize is that the Bible, so here's the way the ancient Jews looked at the Bible. It was, they called it the Torah, right? Which was shorthand for the whole Old Testament, not just merely the first five books, which are technically the Torah. Right? Don't we call it the Tanakh now? The Tanakh, um, yeah, it's well. The Tanakh is the whole of the Old Testament. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But they would all, they would also, yeah, the Tanakh. But Torah, the the Torah is also just kind of shorthand for the scriptures, the yeah, writings, yeah. right? The word, and the Torah comes from a Hebrew word yara, right? Which is y a r a h, I think is the word. And yara means to direct, so it's like literally a finger pointing in a certain direction. So their understanding of the scriptures is that there's something that are supposed to direct you. They're supposed to point you. It's like shooting a javelin in a certain direction. That's what yara means. And so the idea is we're instructed not just by the good things in the Bible, but we're also instructed by all the bad things and all the sin in the Bible and all the people that were terrible in the Bible and uh, the, uh, you know, the worshiping of the golden calf. Because it's supposed to instruct us not just how to be, but yeah. also what not to do. And so you know, people read the Bible and they read the Old Testament like, oh, look at all these kings and all these multiple wives. Well, it's the Bible, though, so I guess that must be okay. Or maybe it was okay in the Old Testament, but not anymore. And God's yeah. schizophrenic, and we don't know what to do with that. But it's actually instructing us what not to do and what not to be. You were about to say something. Yeah, man, I'm I'm, I'm tracking. All I right. just I st- I still think that this this book <clears throat> is nope, nope. freaking me follow out, me, man. Follow okay, me. I'm following you. So y- you, I will yara. So if we already know that there's some things in the Bible that are there to instruct us what not to do, what'd you like? <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> I used the wrong word wrongly. That's all right. But you're because you're yarahing me. So the. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the idea is the most common tradition, and there's no clear consensus, but when I say common common tradition, I mean the majority of the ancient rabbis who were the ones through whom passed down the thought to Jesus. The most common tradition says that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. We know he's a king, he's a son of David, he's a preacher, right? Solomon was the one that wrote Proverbs, presumably. That's, that's which comes right after Psalms. Yes, which comes, we were arguing over where Ecclesiastes was before. But here's here's what the tradition says. Now follow this for a second because it's going to blow your mind in a second. Okay, I'm ready. The common rabbinic tradition says that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, but it was written by Solomon at the end of his life. And if you remember the story, if you know the story of salvation history, what was Solomon like by the end of his life? He was he was a uh, he, dude. The dude was burned out. He, was, I, he did what did he do? He, he did something really horrible. What like, didn't and, he do? And he well he betrayed his wisdom. Yeah. He did all sorts of terrible things. Yeah. And that's the idea. I mean, Solomon, by the end of his life, was awful. He yeah. was totally terrible. And if you read his story, you know, we, we just kind of remember Solomon for his wisdom. But Solomon did not end his life that way. He prayed for, to God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. Yeah. But if you remember, long before there were any kings in Israel, there's this um, passage in Deuteronomy 17. 
long before they have kings. It's back when they're at Sinai, before they're even a, a nation yet. And in Deuteronomy 17, there's these three major instructions for how your king should act if someday you have a king. Oh. Do you remember this? Gosh, it's 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 fuzzy. Yeah. It, it's basically three things. That, there's three things that a king of Israel is not supposed to acquire. So the three W's. They are never to acquire great amounts of wealth. They are never to acquire great amounts of weaponry. So like horses, literally, it says you're never to go to, down to Egypt to get horses, which means you're never supposed to have an offensive army in Israel. You can defend, but you're never supposed to be the kind of nation that goes out and conquers other nations. That's not who the people of God were supposed to be. Imperialism, no good. Right, no good for them. So no huge amounts of wealth, no huge amounts of weaponry, and thirdly, don't acquire a bunch of wives. No multiple wives. Deuteronomy 17 is clear about this. And and Solomon definitely hooks up with too many wives. Do you know how many? Oh, I don't remember. Never mind. I, I thought it was more significant than that. But th- there is significance. He gets a bunch of wives, and I, I think there is significance to the number. So he has tons of wives. Remember, it actually says in his narrative he goes down to Egypt to get tons of war horses so that they can have this huge standing army ready to go. He also acquires 666 talents of gold, so much gold. Dude, you just don't mess with dude, you don't mess with that number I in know. any way. I well, mean, that's why that number it's it's if you read Re- Revelation and you yeah. know the biblical story, you're not thinking, "Oh, 666 is the license plate number of the beast" or whatever. You're thinking, "Oh, that's like Solomon when he gathered 666 talents of gold or like Nebuchadnezzar who built a statue 666 cubits tall or like Goliath, right, who's referred to with 666. It's all this common parlance. So Solomon does everything that a king is not supposed to do. It actually says at one point he had to build storehouses Uh-oh. to hold all of his stuff, all of his great wealth. I think we get a story about that somewhere. Yeah, we're going to get it soon. <laughs> so if you think of that, and if you remember that story, what the ancient understanding is, Ecclesiastes is Solomon at the end of his life, when he's turned his back on God, when he has done everything he's not supposed to do, when he has basically become a disaster. And, and if you read, there's actually an epilogue to the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, If you jump to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the very end of the book, and starting in, um, let's see, starting in verse 9, it's chapter 12, verse 9, here you get the epilogue. And you can tell that there's a, there's a, there's a different narrator here. It's not first person anymore. Now it's third person. Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging proverbs with great care. Now pause there for a second. So it says, besides being wise, the preacher, this person, Koheleth, also taught the people which, knowledge. Which, which, by the way, the people don't know that, uh, that oh, sorry. Koheleth means preacher. It's it's also the Hebrew name for this book. This book in Hebrews is called Koheleth. And which means preacher. It does. Yeah, Koheleth means preacher. It's trans... It kind of. It's it's a king preacher. Well, it is, but it's, it's actually more than that. Koheleth um, is also derivative of something else. This is actually important for the title. So Koheleth is the, the Hebrew name. The Greek name is Ecclesiastes. And ecclesia is the root of where we get this. Which, which is, is church. Yeah, but do you know what it means literally? Gathering. It's the gathering together, which is, you can translate it that into Hebrew as kahal. The kahal was the gathering together of the people. So there was actually a liturgical gathering in the Old Testament. That's translated to ecclesia, the gathering of the people. So this person, this pr- king preacher is the gatherer. That's what he does. And oh, so, and so that's why that's why he's called this. That's why he's called Koheleth or uh, Ecclesiastes. So what he's saying here in the epilogue is that we got to remember this preacher, this Koheleth, gathered together, arranged all of the proverbs with great care. What do you th- what do you think he might be talking about when it says he arranged all the proverbs with great care? He wrote a book called, called proverbs. proverbs, in which he arranged all of these wise sayings with great care, which he did. Right? Yeah. Read on. 
The preacher sought to find pleasing words, and uprightly he wrote these words of truth. So he's saying, this is good. This is all good stuff. Verse 11, but then you get the catch. The sayings of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings which are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. I just want to challenge you for a second to read in between the lines here. What is this editor? This is clearly somebody else who's coming in later on saying, hey, here's how I think you should read this book. He says, the Koheleth, the gatherer, if it is Solomon, he gathered together all of these words of wisdom. He put them in a book. It was called Proverbs. But then he says here, beyond these, beware of anything else he says. You can actually read it so he's actually warning you. Dude, you're, you're like freaking my brain out. I know. How would we include this? Because well, we, you have to have some serious context, which P.S. nobody has. Few people do. Well, that's not true because the ancient tradition all did. We've stopped teaching this. We've forgotten. I mean, here, here's the thing. This, the book of Ecclesiastes is, I think, my surest proof, one of the surest proofs, that the scriptures were never just meant to be handed on outside of a tradition. Because you look at this and you're going like, dude, how, how do you how do you ignore? I mean, this dude is on a rant, right? He's and, totally on a rant. But look at sorry. Before we go on, let's read just the very end of this epilogue. Yeah. Um, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much <laughs> study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. In some translations, actually in the Hebrew, I think the most literal translation is, "This is the end of the matter." All has been heard, namely, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed to judgment with every evil, secret thing, evil or good. So he's saying at the very end of the book, all the stuff you read, beware of it. And the end of the matter is love God and keep his commandments. That's wisdom. And so I think he's just literally warned you of what you do. Now, why is it in the Bible? Why would the Bible trick us like that? Now, well, by the way, the Bible's not going to trick us, not, not right. if we're actually in a community and a... In in a Havarim. Right. No, no, I do have to point out, this isn't the only tradition that goes along with this. There's other thoughts. There's other theories about this book. But to be honest with you, I've read a lot of them, and they all just kind of dance around the fact they're like, well, this book is confusing, and it seems to contradict itself a lot in everything else in the Bible. But, you know, there's probably, it just kind of dances around this. But I do think it's the majority consensus of the ancient rabbis that, look, this is Solomon. So what is it, what is it doing? So why is it there? That beginning line in which we get in the, uh, the readings today, of vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities, I, I think, is kind of a questionable. It, it's a fine translation. It's totally accurate. But we have a very specific definition of vanity right now. Yeah, because we have such an ecclesial tradition around the word that's specific. Yeah, yeah. But it just doesn't mean, I think, what it meant. So, so actually, I think it's the NIV translation has my favorite. It says meaningless, oh, meaning. It just says basically meaningless. All is meaningless, which is what it means. That's what he's getting at. Well, I, th- I think that there's a certain sense in which uh, in the contemporary culture you can say something is just vain. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. a shell. It has no heart. It's just a, an exterior uh, appearance with nothing underneath. Yeah, so, totally. so if you're reading vanity as meaninglessness— yeah. Then that's it. That's it, then you're it, getting it. It's it's just like it's then then we're there. Yeah, totally. I had a teacher uh, of mine who said he gave an analogy for reading this book. He said, "Imagine that we're all together in a minivan or something. We're all in this minivan together. We're, we're all in your jeep. We're all in Father Peter's jeep. Yay. Here we are, and we're all careening <sighs> toward this cliff." That is going to plunge us to our deaths. Which which is <laughs> actually more likely <laughs> well, than yeah, not. than in the minivan. Yeah. So here we are. What's the conversation going to be like in that vehicle, in that Jeep, as we're all careening helplessly toward this cliff? What are we talking about? 
Oh man, what's on your mind? Question. Did I did, did I go to confession? <laughs> did you go to confession? Do I need to go to confession? I mean, here's his point. Yeah, did I go to confession? Oh, there's a cliff coming, right? But his point, my my teacher's point was basically anything you can be discussing, it's kind of pointless. There's no topic that you can really bring up. Hopefully, you did go to confession, but guess what? There's the cliff right over there. Yeah, I mean, you really can't it's, have much of a conversation. I've you I, can't. I've actually been in the situation, and I'll tell you what, everybody goes blank. <laughs> There's not the, nobody says anything because the the palpable emotion. I mean, if, if anything, your life flashes before your eyes because you're trying to examine everything in your life to see if there's any solution to get out of this. But it's it's all underneath a direct thought. So why don't you just have topic have conversations about other things to take your mind off the subject? Oh, because they would be meaningless. All of it is meaningless. Now picture Solomon at the end of his life. He's turned his back on God. He has acquired so many riches beyond belief. He has acquired as much vanity as a human being can acquire. And now all he's facing at the very end of all this is certain death and Sheol, which is just waiting. Meaningless. Nothinglessness. Hmm. So he's coming to the end of his life. He's done all these things. And now he's thinking to himself, all, I've, all that I've done, all of these things, it's all meaningless. He, it, it, it's basically a book that's calling the bluff of the world. Saying, look, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do all these things. Gather all you want. Be number one. Pull yourself up. Get as much money. Get, be number one. Do all this stuff. But it's saying, look, do all you want. Live that way if you want to. Guess what? Death's at the door. There it comes. Meaningless. Vanity. He's calling the bluff of the world. I don't even know if he means to be doing it because he's in their boat, but he's realizing, look, this is nothing. This is useless. We, yeah, this is this is why it becomes confusing is because he's actually saying like he's yes. on he's on a rant he's on to something though he's on a rant that's yeah. and he's on to something he he's right. he's actually saying something where you're going like yeah he's like you know immerse yourself in all the pleasures of the world and guess what it's vanity gather everything up and have nothing he says you you know try to be wise you'll just come off like a fool right. somebody else is gonna have everything it all sucks like. Right. Right. It, but then, see, this is the thing: is he takes a turn in the middle of all of this, he and he's does. like, and I go into, he's like, and I'm in full despair, and um, and guess what? That's vanity too. Like, yeah. he's like, I'm just, he's like, damned if I do, damned if I don't. That's so, exactly so, what he is. So I give up. It like that's that's where he's in just this place of of real despair, yes. and that's where we come to the, this reading. He, he reminds says, me of Job's friends. Do you remember <laughs> he, all Job's buddies? Totally, he does. Yeah, dude. He he. You know, because sometimes um, must leave it all for to somebody else. Yep. What is a man but have the toil and strain which he toils beneath the sun? For all of his days are pain, and his work is a vexation. Even at night, his mind doesn't even rest. This is vanity. Like, dude, I think I had a day like that the other day. Ty came over, and I was like, I hate everything. This is the worst. <laughs> like. And then I just spewed all of my poison, and it was uh, exterior to me. And I was like, "That's all poison." Wow. But so, and and wow. that's that's actually what this reading this book feels like. Actually, yeah. it just feels like engaging something that poisonous that has truth in it, and it's hard to discern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting book. I was actually kind of surprised that we got it this week. Well, but we, if we if we kind of have that lens, yeah, I think it it uh, affects all the rest of the readings. Yes. So, should we move on to the psalm? Yes. Psalm 90. And and again, you even get it here in the responsorial. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. What did Solomon do? If you know the story of Solomon, he heard the voice of the Lord and he hardened his heart. Yeah. It's precisely the answer to, to everything Solomon did. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, you brought everything and 
but everything is everything goes back to dust and you sleep them away like a dream and like grass is renewed in the morning and then it flourishes and then it fades and withers we are consumed by your anger by your wrath we are overwhelmed you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance and so but here's the thing the psalm and Koheleth are actually saying basically the exact same things but they're coming to different conclusions. Yes. Koheleth is saying the same thing, but he's saying, therefore, it's all meaningless. The psalm is saying, death is coming, there's going to be wrath, it's going to suck, all these things. What's the conclusion? Don't harden your heart. Satisfy in the morning with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad. You know, let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. He says, let it, let it be meaningful. Which, this is the thing, is that I believe that both you and I stand precisely against this meaninglessness of toil yeah. and actually believe, because I believe wholeheartedly that everything conspires to the good of those who love him. Absolutely. And that when you lose love, then of course all things are meaningless and it makes no sense why right. I would suffer anything. Right. It makes no sense why I would have anything good either because right. uh, in the end, if it all is just nothing, then it all is just nothing. Exactly. And and I'll tell you what, man, that, that I'm really glad you told me about the, this context because- It changes everything, I've always it? been frustrated with Ecclesiastes. That preacher, man- I think everyone just avoids Ecclesiastes. Unless you have a funeral, which is uh, somebody... <laughs> somebody which asked, is awful. Which yeah. is a tough break. Well, I don't know. Just telling him it's meaningless. Well, yeah, but there's, the, there's that, like, there's a, a time to be born, a time to yeah, die. Yeah, oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right, that, right, right. that's nice. Yeah, that, that's that's nice. kind of poetic. That's nice. But that's I, a, I, I sure would Turn into a song. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. The page to colosconoscopy. Oh, very nice work. Segway. Segway. All right, so we're still in Colossians. We've been in Colossians. Which for a which while. by the way, did you know that the Segway, the the human powered device that um I mean the engine powered device that powers people around has as its engine a thing <laughs> description of a Segway. <laughs> it's it's the standing vehicle. Yeah. That that you see like security guards on in Florida. You watch Arrested Development, right? Have you ever seen that show on the TV show? I don't condone Arrested Development. It's I I actually have not watched Arrested. There's Development. a character who just drives a Segway. <laughs> yeah, but that's powered by a Sterling engine. Really? A Sterling engine is an mm-hmm. engine that's powered by alternate by hot and cold. You can actually run a Sterling engine off of, of a cup of coffee, but it doesn't produce much power. But it's a super efficient engine. That's why it's adequately suited to the Segway. Speaking of segways, <laughs> speaking of segways, let's go to the third chapter of Colossians. There we go. Wow, well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, brothers and sisters, if you are raised in Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is think of what is above, not what is on earth. Again, all of these readings they're an answer to Koheleth in a certain sense. Yeah. Seek what is above, not what is on earth. Koheleth's problem is he can't see beyond those things. I mean, he can see beyond him. He sees that death is coming, and he sees that they're going to come to an end. But he can't see beyond that. We, we, yeah, even well, even this is the thing: is that all he's seeing at things is in the light of death. Yeah, not right. in the light of life. Right. To say that there is life beyond this, of course, it's all vanity if it's not an educational system. Right. Dude, this world is an educational system to where the Lord is teaching us on how to be with Him and right. to seek Him above all things and to love our neighbors ourselves. And right. I love you, Scott, a lot. I love you. And I, I love myself a lot, too, almost as much as I love you. Oh. 
Thanks, man. You're welcome. Therefore, put to death everything. Now, now this they, is the jump that you're angry about. I'm, I'm We're all angry. Let's be angry. I'm mad too. Arr, arr. Arr. Thanks for being in my court, you man. Bet, man. Um, dude, I, why did they they cut out these lines? So they, so they stop um, uh, at verse uh, six. So they cut out verse six and seven um, uh, and eight. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, which is uh, what? What was it? Six. Uh, six. No, no. What was the things that the wrath of God is coming for? Oh, immorality, Seven. impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 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 I get a kick out of the fact that the wrath of God is coming for wrath. Oh, that's in there. <laughs> that's that is funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but then it says, "In you, uh, in these, you once walked when you lived in them, but now put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul talk from your mouths." They cut that out. Do they not want people to? I mean, did they? I mean, why would you cut this out? It makes no sense to me. I do. I mean, I do think you have a point that we're we're a little hesitant to talk about the idea of the wrath of God, because I think the reason we're afraid to talk about the wrath of God, which is how this couple of verses opens, because we don't adequately understand what the wrath of God is. So the the book of Romans actually defines what God's wrath is. Did you know that? No. But this is the thing is, is it's kind of an anthropomorphizing of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lots of things do that, though. I mean, that we, I, don't cut out. we also have to be end up cataphatic and realize <laughs> that we are we ultimately know less about God than we actually know about. Is that what God. cataphatic means? No, it isn't. I don't know. What, what is cataphatic? I don't know that word. I don't know that. Oh shoot! I think I'm very smart, but I don't. Know I think that cataphatic. Word. Oh shoot! I'm gonna have to look this up. Okay, you talk. Last about, time you looked up a word, talk about something. You didn't. It wasn't a good. It wasn't good. <laughs> cataphatic. I will now define it. Um, cataphatic theology. Um, hold on. Um, is expressing of God the, or, uh, or the divine through positive terminology. This is in contrast to defining God or the divine in what God is not, which is referred to as negative or apophatic. So I was actually trying to mean apophatic and apophatic. not cataphatic. Got it. So defining wrath of God is a cataphatic, defining, okay. But I think that we're apophatic. I kind of zoned out when you were talking about Okay, I'm sorry. sorry. I mean, you whatever, lost just like zone out. That's fine. <laughs> I'm good. Okay, so ultimately, for those people who are listening, unlike hey, Scott, man, I'm listening. Yeah, um, then, uh, then what we we ultimately know less about God than we know about God. So we yeah. can, and so when yeah, we yeah, posit things about God, we have to be careful because we know less than we actually do. So when yeah. we say the wrath of God, what do we mean? I don't understand the wrath of God, dude. I mean, I understand the wrath of Titans, and and I even understand or the wrath the of Khan or the wrath of Khan, dude, which. I didn't see the new um, movie I didn't yet, either. but I, I hear I hear I hear Khan shows up, dude. Does he? Yeah, that's good to know. But unless unless they're all just conning me. Oh man, you're on fire today. Fire, cataphatic. Um, <clears throat> so here's the here's the thing. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just getting my voice back. From what? Where was it? It was <laughs> Wisconsin, <laughs> dude. So here's the thing. Um. The wrath of God. So, so in Romans, you actually get a definition, though. So, it is, it is anthropomorphizing God, which is true, but we actually get a definition, and it's not what we think it is. So, it's in Rome. It's basically in Romans chapter two and three. He talks about the righteousness of God and the wrath of God. Okay. And the wrath of God, the way that Romans actually defines it, Paul defines it in Romans, is God's wrath is essentially when He lets you do what you want to. 
And there's this whole diatribe he goes on in chapter two of Romans where he says, and then he gave them up to their dishonorable passions and he gave them Mm. up to their, you know, searching after drunkenness and licentiousness and whatever else. God's wrath, as defined by Paul in Romans, is when he lets you have your way. Because when he lets you have your way, it just tends to not work out very well. God's mercy, on the other hand, is when he actually stops you and sometimes punishes you. So we have our minds totally flipped on this. We think, oh, God's wrath is when he's mad at us and he's telling us we can't do stuff. No, that's actually not what it is. God's Whoa. wrath is when he says, yeah, go for it. See how that's going to make you feel. And, you know, we, we pursue these sins that are not going to help us, that are going to hurt us. But God's a gentleman and he's not going to force us. We're not robots. He's not going to make us do the right thing. So he says, okay, fine, go for it. See what happens. I know that eventually you'll realize you'll find yourself lacking. This isn't going to fulfill you. That's wrath that's god's wrath which changes everything man <laughs> i'm so glad we talked about that one because i know it. like dude that's great but isn't it yeah like which ultimately we have to put off the old man with his practices and put on the new man which right. i know people who that, that that whole concept like that we we are a new creation like yeah. it's so helpful yeah because the old man was disobedient and funky and given over to wrath yeah and there's nothing we like were old, disobedient and funky old man funk <laughs> tell me about it man wow thanks for that colossinoscopy no it's true and, and that's the idea i mean this is paul's whole definition of sin whenever he defines again i'm going back to romans but paul basically defines why we should not i think it's in romans 6 isn't that right yeah he, he has that line it's in romans 6 or 7 where he basically says you know if you go back and look throughout history the more law there was the more we sinned the more we sinned the more um the more God's mercy was poured out, the more God's grace and mercy was poured out. Remember that? Yeah. And he, he presumes that you're going to make the logical connection. So if you hear that the more you sin, the more God's grace is going to be poured out, what's your logical conclusion? That he's being nice. Well, no, think about it. I Follow mean, com- com- compared, to, compared to what we were just talking about, our normal thought is, hey, yeah, God, mercy means that you're really just being nice. No, but I mean, if, you, if you're just being told as just a person, you're just like, uh, okay, I'm a dude. And you're like, God, the more you sin, yep. the more grace you are going to get. I'm what a, are you going to want to do? I'm going to sin like a mug. Right. You're going to want to sin more. And Paul actually assumes you're going to say that. And so in the next line, he says, so what should we say to this? Should we sin more so that God's grace can be poured out? He says, noigonoiko, which is the most forceful form in, in Greek. Noigonoiko. Noigonoiko. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, Dude, I'm going to put that on the back of my Jeep. You should. Noigonoiko. Yeah. Absolutely not. But, but it raises this question. Okay, wait a second. If... We get more grace the more we sin. Why shouldn't we sin? And the the answer that you might expect Paul to say is, well, well if you sin more, you're going to burn in hell or you're going to be punished or what da da But that's not what he says. He basically reiterates what he's saying in Colossians. He says the reason you shouldn't sin is because it's actually a lie. It's not who you are anymore. You're actually, you actually are a new creation, whether you feel like it or not. Yeah. You actually have died to your old self. You have been raised again to a new self. You are a new creation. So every time you sin, you're simply lying about your identity. And that's just dumb. He doesn't bring punishment or hell into the equation, although those things are real. He simply says it's stupid because that's not who you are. Which, again, we have our minds flipped on this whole idea. And so why should we not, uh, what does he say here? You know, but to put, why should we not put to death immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, all this stuff? Because we're lying to ourselves. There's that line, John Paul II had that great line, Christian be who you are or become who you are. Did you know how many times we've said this in the podcast? Now? Have we? Sorry, man. This is like this is like it's a, a month quote, now. Man. I was talking to Carrie because she put all the paintings. 
Carrie who? Floyd. Oh, Carrie Floyd. Yeah, yeah Carrie we Floyd. We have a lot of Carries to listen to. Yeah, yeah. This is now the third time we've mentioned those paintings. What paintings? Of Christian, become who you are. Remember who you are. Paintings? Whatever, dude. Okay, we better move on. <laughs> Carrie, this, this is why you keep saying it. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> become who you are. This so. is what it's about. But again, Stop lying to yourselves. Yeah. But again, this goes bad. Where does this go back to? Stop it goes lying back to, to yourself. Stop it. Start. <laughs> but it all, <laughs> it all goes back to Solomon, right? Who is the antithesis of everything these readings are suggesting that we do. Um, so that's why it's all significant. Dude, he, Wow. Man, yeah, you're blowing, you're blowing my, you're blowing my melon. You, yeah. <laughs> dude. Okay, there's a dude, and he says, "Divide the inheritance with me and in Luke." But he says, "Man, I like it. I like it. I like. I feel like Jesus' response is so jive." Man, man what who point me is your judge and divider? Oh, Come on. <laughs> what did you say? Judge and divider. Judge and divider. What translation are you reading? A, a revised standard version, oh, Catholic edition. Yes, I'm reading what we're reading the Mass. It's the Universal Church. I'm wow. Sorry. That, sorry, that was man. like a piercing arrow. No, I didn't mean Thank, it to be. Thanks, yeah. thanks for that. No, it's not the, just the church in the North America. Okay. Um, so sorry. hold on. George and, Judge and Arbiter? Judge and Arbiter, yeah. There's a lot to be said about this. Yeah. Like, like, um,. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. a pause with <laughs> tons to be said <laughs> i mean here, here's my deal and i'm not trying to sound like a broken record but okay. again i'm reading everything we're reading in the light of solomon okay for though one may be rich one life one's life does not consist of possessions this is kohelet's question right yeah i have many possessions i'm super rich i'm wise meaningless of meaningless right yeah that's what jesus is answering here and then he actually goes on to give a parable which you could read as solomon yeah who taught, who, remember, he builds storehouses, he builds barns, which Solomon actually does. Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's all this crazy stuff of investment, which is, I mean, like he's striking, Jesus is striking at a, at a really intense point of national identity. You're a people and you've been going out and like your whole thing. I mean, again, this continues like what we were talking about Jubilee last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait. It, wait. Last week. What did I say? Last year. <laughs> it's all right. Just move on. What we were talking about last year. Dude, this is what happens when you're um, dealing in years and days and stuff, man. It gets mixed. It's Tell like, this it. is why I'm not a very good baker. It doesn't make any sense. Because, dude, you're I just get... setting yourself <laughs> too, many, too many Why measurements. are you not a good baker? What? There's too many measurements. Oh, I things. thought that was going to be a pun or something. <laughs> Thanks. It sounded like the setup for a joke. It, it really did. It was a joke, but it wasn't very funny because you ruined it. I'm sorry, man. You ruined everything. There's two muffins in an oven. One looks at the other one and is like, hey, it's getting really hot in here. The, the other one says, says, ah, ah a talking, talking muffin. muffin. <laughs> Thank you, Father Matt Harley. Father Brian Larkin. Oh, dude. Oh. <laughs> these, all these priests have this that one Same joke. joke. Okay. Yeah, Jesus is striking at the national identity of these people because the the truth is is that um, um, a couple things are happening. One, he's saying, I'm not going to be Moses. I'm actually something new and different from Moses. Because if you go to Exodus 2.16, you're going to see what happens is Moses sees the one dude, uh, the the, uh, Egyptian strike down the Israelite. He comes back the next day and uh, and, and, 
how how does Exodus two sixteen go? Come on. He kills him is the end of the story. Well, yeah, but uh, th- uh, we have to turn the page. Okay, two sixteen. I know that's the thing, but we have to get the quote, and it says, "Did um, you steal your dad's Bible?" I did. Well, no, he didn't like that Bible. <laughs> I gave an inscription. I, Scott <laughs> had to borrow inscription. it. And, and my dad didn't dad, like it. So. I love you, Peter. <laughs> and, and, and I will steal the Bible back. And I will steal it back. <laughs> okay, hold on. Maybe it is not. Um, no, no. I. It's. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's. It's. Uh, Dude, this, there's a lot to be said about these scriptures. <laughs> no, here it is. It's chapter two, verse eleven. Oh, two or eleven. Twelve. Yeah, he says. Uh, he said. Um, who made you prince and judge over us? Oh, I see where you're going now. Yeah, so so what happens is is actually God made him prince and judge over right. them. He that what's happening is that yeah. he's actually already assumed the identity, and people are responding right. to something inside of him already, and they're doing the same with Jesus. And yeah. Jesus is saying, "No, you don't even understand. I'm going to strike at a couple of things: your possessions and your land. Yeah. You're going to have to get set free from them because I am moving towards worldwide blessing and yeah. n- and not towards." just some sort of inherited um, uh, uh, identity that you yeah. have in the land. What's going to end up happening is that you can build all these barns, you can store up yourself for all these things, but the reality is is that it's going to be taken from you, and uh, what is underneath this? Yeah. Are you going to be caught in vanity of vanities? Are you actually just living on the surface of things? Right. Or are you actually going into the heart of the matter of why the land was given and to, to do that? And so Jesus is trying to say, I'm more than Moses, brother. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly it. Cool. That's good. I've got nothing else to say. You said it. You nailed it. Wow. I, I, dude, how did I shut you up? You didn't. All I had to talk about was Solomon. I told you that. I warned you. I only got one thing to say. <laughs> Solomon. Solomon, I, Solomon, Solomon, Solomon. Solomon. Well, today we talked oh, about sorry. many things. One more thing. Okay. Sorry. I, can't, I can't let you. You have the last word. <laughs> so, no, just but, but thinking here. Again, I, I do think everything in these readings are the answer to Koheleth, who was saying meaningless. What do you do with all these things? And if you read the very end of what Jesus has in this parable, you know, he, this guy builds storehouses. He builds all these barns. He has all these good things stored up. Eat, drink, rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, what? You fool. This night your life will be demanded of you. Which goes right back <clears throat> to the sense of Koheleth uh, equating yes. the fool and the wise man. So why, Jesus, in my mind, this reading is answering, why is Koheleth in the Bible? Why is Ecclesiastes in the Bible? To show us that Koheleth is a fool. Oh. Jesus is answering that question. He calls him a fool. I think it's beautiful. And I think that's important. Because, again, if Torah is direction, instruction, it's important that we actually see those things. It's important that we see what not to do, what we're tempted to do, how we're tempted to view the world and construct it. But sometimes we're just wrong. Well, and it's it's all about being earthbound. I mean, this yeah. is the whole problem with Koheleth and Solomon is that, is that, dude, he did some great stuff, but he never got the whole heart and soul of what it was about. No. And the same thing. And he so he's striking about that at the, at the national identity level, but he's also striking that, and the church is giving that to us here to say, if we're, if we're, all we're considered is, is external action and yeah. the way things are appeared and, and right. storing up for ourselves these great barns because we have such abundance, yeah. then we're whacked. Yes, that is what the church is saying. <laughs> no, it's true. It's absolutely true, though. Yeah. Don't be whacked. Yo. That's the moral of the story today. Yo, don't be whacked or whack, just in general. No. Don't be whack and don't fake the funk. <laughs> Even though you're tempted to. Yeah. 
And so thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. You can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Which, by the way, you should visit thomascenter.org. Oh, man, thomascenter.org, dude. We just, Father Peter just rebuilt our website at the Thomas Center. And it's awesome. Did you integrate Lanky Guys in there yet? Not yet. but We're, we're getting it up there, baby. Yeah, baby. It's going to be good. I was so excited about the website. I wore my Thomas Center polo today. Polo. Check it out. Polo. Pollo. Dude, you are. Yeah. God bless you all. All right. Thanks for listening, you guys. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.